Eloy, Eloy, Sabakathani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Mark chapter 15, starting at verse number 25. It's King James Version. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the subscription of his accusers was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads, and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple, and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said, Among themselves with the scribes, he he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross, and we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, said, Behold, he called Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge with full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. This concludes our reading of Mark chapter 15. chapter 23. We're going to read verses 39 through 43 out of the King James Version. Verse number 39. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justify, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Verse number 43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. This concludes the reading of Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43 out of the King James Version. Hey, everybody out in podcast land, it's David coming at you with a brand new podcast. Well, it is January 26th, 2024, and what a day it is. A lot of the snow has been melting over the last day or so because of the rains that have been coming in, the the warming up of the snow and the weather, and it looks really nasty out there. 
Now, it could give you an illusion thinking that spring is on the way, but that is an illusion, my friends, because we have a little ways to go before spring is here. But trust me, spring is coming, and when it comes, it's going to be great. I just have a great feeling for spring this year. We're going to be excited for it. It's going to be great times. I really hope we get a chance to get out there and do some fishing, spend some time with the family just in the open outdoors, and just in taking in God's country and enjoying the things that God has made. And that's what I want my listeners to do. I want you to find some time to enjoy God's creation, enjoy God's world. Unlike Romans, we are not like the world where we worship the creation more than the creator, but we worship our creator. And as we go out and we look at the things he has made, we give him praise. As you look up in heavens at night and you see the stars, give him praise. When you see the moon, give him praise. When you see the things on the earth, the animals, the different flowers, the insects, they're very complicated. The little things everywhere. Just give him praise. He deserves it. Nobody else deserves the praise that Jesus should get from his creation. But that's my little commercial to you today. When you get a chance, praise the Lord for the things he's made. Praise the Lord for the things in your day. Sometimes they're good. And many times they're bad. Sometimes you're on the mountain of joy. And lots of times we're in the valley of suffering. I hope you're on the mountain of joy today. But if not, that valley of suffering has got a purpose too, my friend. Those plateaus and little hills of pain. Those little crevices those little cliffs that you get to of agony and grief, those have a purpose too, my friend. Sometimes you have to know suffering and sometimes you have to be acquainted with grief for a season. I'm not going to get deep and theological on these points because all of us, if you're human, understand suffering. All of us, if you're walking on this earth and you're still breathing the oxygen that God has given us, have been acquainted with grief at some time. Grief is a mysterious thing. Grief comes upon us, pain and suffering, longing for good times, longing for happiness, longing for those great things. And instead, in return, you get a cup of sorrow, a cup of bitterness, a sponge full of vinegar. And when you think that the relief is coming, it sometimes gets worse. The people next to you start to mock you. Those closest to you start to push you away. Those around you don't see the agony, the suffering, and the purpose of what's going on in your life, as you may not, and as I may not, my friends. But God knows. He was acquainted with our griefs. He suffered He was bruised and beaten. And he understands. I know that's not something that you can take a lot of solace with. I know when you hear these words from people, sometimes it's like pouring salt on a wound. I know sometimes when you hear these things, it doesn't bring you out any quicker and it doesn't help. And it's like putting coals of fire upon you when you've already been beaten and bruised and You're in pain and sorrow and agony and somebody comes along with a good word and it doesn't bring you joy. 
But God knows where you're at, my friend. Just trust in that. This is my commercial for you today. God bless. Hey, everybody on podcast land. I'm glad you're sticking with me through this podcast. I know sometimes it's hard to get past some of the points people make or the little commercials or the little thoughts here and there. And sometimes we click on a podcast or a video and we just, we hear something and it turns us off and we just shut the thing down. We walk away. We don't share it. We don't do anything. I hope I'm not doing that with my listeners out there. I try to break it up in a way that keeps it entertaining and keeps you listening because there's something that's in these podcasts that will bless you. Now, like I've been saying for a while in this new year, please listen to the very end on my podcast. Many times I save deeper thoughts or I put different things all the way through and to the end and I kind of tie things together. And a lot of times you'll think I'm going a certain way in the beginning of a podcast and it's not the intention, but I've learned something and God has taught me something over my years of being his student is there's a way of separating the wheat from the chaff. There's a way to separate the goats from the sheep. And it's demonstrated in some of these things that I do. Sometimes I'll be saying points or doing things and people will shut it off or they won't listen all the way or they'll take it out of context and run with it. And next thing you know, there's rumors being passed and there's things happening and it had nothing to do with the whole thing. If you were to listen to the whole thing and get to the end, you would find out what Reverend David Lee Randolph II was really saying. Now, you might think that's misleading or something, but that's far from the truth. As a matter of fact, that's how Jesus speaks to us in parables. He wants to see sometimes how hungry you really are. To the full, a piece of bread is not that important. But to that person that's been starving, it means a lot. To a healed person, a doctor visit is not important. But to that person that's laying there, suffering, a doctor is a great thing. Even if it's only a vet that would show up, that doctor is a great thing. So sometimes in our life, needs have to be made for you to crave the things that God wants in your life. And I'm not saying that God allows suffering in our life for these reasons. And don't get me wrong and don't misunderstand what I'm saying. That God does not use sin. He does not use transgressions or any of that kind of stuff to get you to do anything. I was saying this to my kids the other day. God uses a still, small voice sometimes. I was talking to Sophia the other day, and I was listening to her because I've been trying to teach her how to pay attention and to follow directions. And a lot of times I'll be saying stuff, and and this is where I get some of my ideas from, is just my day-to-day life activities. And everything I've ever taught in the kingdom of God from day one has been a reflection on what God has been speaking to me, using me for, or things that I need to hear and I use it on myself and I preach to myself. But as I was speaking to her, because sometimes you'll say like, 
Hey, grab and I'm using this just an example. It's not happened. I'm just throwing something out there. Hey, grab that fork. And when you're done with that fork, go over there and pick up that blanket. And then immediately before I start finishing even the first part of the sentence, she starts talking and diverting and doing what her thing. And then I wait and let her get done. And then I say, okay. And she'll look at me and I'll be like, what are you going to do? And she's like, I don't know. I said, well, yeah, you should, because I just gave you the directions. No. And I'm not picking on Sophia. This is not something that happened. I'm just using it as an example. And eventually she'll be like, well, I don't know. I said, well, then if you don't know, you have to ask. You have to be polite and ask. Could you please repeat it? But I'm trying to teach you to listen. If you were to listen, you would hear the directions and you would know exactly what to do. And so I would repeat it again. And she would give me that look. And this is, didn't happen, I'm just saying. But I got many experiences like this that these type of things do happen. So I'm just gleaning from it for you today. And that works on all of us. And I apply that to myself too. A lot of times I don't listen to people. I get ahead of my, well, they say, get your skis out ahead of yourselves. And when you do that, you're, you're tipsy. It's just like if you're roller skating and get your feet way too far ahead, you're going to fall over. And a lot of times we're like that in our relationships and with our conversations. The problem I have with people in the day and age we're in is nobody gives anybody any time to grow or to learn or to make mistakes. I've learned as I've gotten older, you have to allow people that have made dumb choices, dumb mistakes, said the wrong thing. You have to give them a chance to grow and to learn and to find out for themselves, oh man, I shouldn't have done that or am I doing this or through the subtle hints, they start to change and they start to do stuff. But then there's those persons that are out there that are stiff necks and they have no clue, don't care, don't want nothing to do with it. And they just keep on running right towards the hill, right over the hill and into the cave. And from the cave, they go down into a hole and they're never found again. Hyperbole there. But there's many people like this in our life. And I find as I've gotten older, there's a lot of people like this. Everybody's thing is important. To the point, everybody's thing is more important than everybody else's thing. And I find the things of God sit on a shelf. They just sit there. The work of God, it just sits there. It suffers. It suffers for a season. You'll see somebody get excited for the work of God and before too long, You'll get an older person or somebody that's inexperienced just come up along that person and start to deflate their balloon. Start to pour all kinds of unhappiness, unhappy thoughts, unhappy words, telling them that they're saying it wrong, they're doing it wrong, they shouldn't be doing this. All the things that's just to deflate their balloon. And most of the time, those works never get off the ground. Most of the time, the things of God don't even get off the ground because of this reason. But yet those same people, when they want to do something, it is offensive to them if you were even to look at them, listen to them, speak to them, or even give them a, your, your attention for 99% of the conversation, they'll flip out on you, they'll, they'll, they'll rebuke you, they'll call you all kinds of names, they'll step all over your stuff, and they do not care. They say they care, but if they really cared, they would listen. They would participate. I find in my life that from the day that God called me out, I've been doing a work for God. 
It's been on my heart, and I have not done it perfectly, my friends. I've, <laughs> if you've known me any time in the ministry, I've been the first one to, to say this. I've never hid behind perfection. I've never st- stood up and tried to belittle anybody with my knowledge. I've never done that kind of thing because I know where I came from, and I know who I am, and I know who my God is. And I have a heart to help people and not to hurt them. A heart to see people grow and not to stay stagnant. To the point, and so much so, that even while I suffer, and even while I went through losses, and even though I've been in the bitterness parts of my life, I still ministered. I still minister. And you know, there's critics. There's critics all around. They'll always be there. And you got to remember that there's critics out there that are actually immature. So that's a reason. And you got to give them a little bit of grace. There's the critic out there that doesn't have enough information. They heard something or they're going off what their feelings are saying and they get out there and they start to to quote scripture or to quote a part of the Bible or they start to use things to try to educate people and they don't want to learn. They don't want to find out what's going wrong. And they're quick to try to correct those that God is actually really called. God is actually really separated. God is actually requiring things from these people. And I find that there's the other kinds that are intellectually smart. They have it all together. They've lived in the kingdom of God for generations. They just got just a pedigree that is just to die for. And they don't have time for you. They don't have time to talk to you. They don't want to shake your hand. They got all kinds of excuses why they won't and why you shouldn't be coming up and talking to them and why you shouldn't be shaking their hand. And they got all these type of ideas and thoughts because they're so important. And then there's just those that do the work of God night and day. They continue to press forward. They carry the load. They carry the burden while they're being stoned and spit on. Their life is in chaos. They don't have it all together. They don't have the fancy clothes or the money. They don't have the pedigree. They even say things out of character sometimes because they're zeal. They're very zealous for the Lord. And over time, that zealous person starts to mature. And then... Over time, that person's either matured to a point where they've, they've, they've drawed back because they found out that their zeal gets them into more trouble and that zeal kind of closes a lot more doors and that zeal kind of separates them from everybody else. So they draw back a little bit to try to correct it and fix it. And before long, all the critics are there again. They're always going to be there. They're there in the beginning, they're there through your process, and they're there in the end. And as you start to clean up and reorganize yourself and you're spending time with Jesus and you're a little bit too reserved then because at times, like myself, I wish I would use some more zeal like when I was younger, as a younger minister, as a younger person called of the Lord, my zeal was, it would make up for a lot and you can use this stuff in a physical sense. Remember when you're younger, if you're an older person, remember when you're younger, how strong you were, how fast you were, how much how much vigor you had for life 
And over time, it kind of wanes. And you start to reserve that strength. And to a point where you start to reserve it too much to protect those bones because you don't want to break them. And you wish that, oh man, I wish I had some zeal right now. But there's something else that you've gained through this life that you did not have when you had all that zeal. And it's called knowledge. It comes from a lot of suffering, pain, a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes, a lot of trials and errors, a lot of faith. And you sit back and you ponder a lot throughout a day. And people have no clue what you're pondering. They have no clue where your mind is. Many will accuse you of all kinds of stuff. That's just the critics. Many people will have all kinds of ideas for you, but that's just the critics. Many people have new ways and new ideas. That's just the critics. But every once in a while, you get a glimpse of why you're suffering, why you're gleaning the knowledge, why you're going up the valleys and mountains and hills, why you're walking the deserts, ultimately why you're on a cross. Because you look to one side, as we read in our text, and you have a critic on that side that just gnashes with his teeth. He cannot wait to call you names. Here he is dying and suffering himself. He's punished for a crime that he committed, and he can't wait to bring you down to, mock you and make fun of you without any thought. And you look to the left, and there's the reason why you're suffering. There's the reason why you stretched out your hands and you allowed them to put the nails in. There's the reason why you're laying there naked and you have nothing to show for your life. You have no family. You have no job. You have nothing because you gave it all to God and now you're suffering. And this person cannot wait to say, forgive me. Maybe not in those kind of words, but if you hear what he said, he's saying, God, we deserve to be where we're at. But when you get to your kingdom, please remember me. And I want to stop right now for all the critics that I've ever heard preach this sermon before. There's two sides of this sermon I've heard. I've heard it preached where there it is. There's how you get into heaven. And I've heard it the other way where the legalist will get up and say, man, that is not the way. And just because it happened then is because it's before the Jesus died. So it was the Old Testament law still in effect. And that's how he got in. And you have him splitting hairs over this conversation. They're just the critics. I want to give you another thought that the Lord gave me as I was reading this and thinking about it in my prayer. It just popped in my head, this whole conversation. Jesus was suffering. He was beaten. He was in agony. People were mocking him, and the mockery alone is enough to make a man go insane. To look at people that you are punished and dying for, mock you, tell you you're not doing it right, tell you you're not good enough, have all the answers for you. And you look at them and your tears are blood. Your sweat is blood. You've literally given your life to these people. And ultimately, one of the thieves, instead of mocking you, gives you comfort. Could it be that 
as Jesus was laying there suffering, and we read the words that he, what he said, Eloi, Eloi, Eloi lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's thinking this in his head. He's got this in his heart. He knows that he's suffering. He knows. And I heard it. He's all God. And he came down and suffered. We just kind of brushed under the rug. We act like God has just got this superhero strength down here. And he didn't feel no pain. He didn't go through no agony. He didn't have no suffering. He's God. And we just use those words and just let him lash out of our teeth. And oh yeah, he's God. Like making it all right. Why? Because it's not us up there. It's not you up there. It's somebody else suffering. And it's easier when somebody else is suffering. It's easier when you look at somebody and they're sick. I'm not talking about a regular sickness. I'm talking about a yearly sickness. A sickness that does not go away. A sickness that's there every morning when you wake up and it's knocking at your door saying, Hey, guess what? I got my jogging clothes on, Mr. Man, and I'm going to run the distance today with you. We're going to be sick all day. And everybody's got an answer. Everybody has got a way to put you down. Everybody's got a way to comfort you. But then this thief looks at him and says, God, I deserve to be here. But remember me when you get to paradise. And could it be in that moment, Jesus gathered some strength. There was a smile on the inside of him. Because here is a human being showing God mercy. Showing God love. Showing God kindness. Showing God something when he needed it. Instead of mocking these thieves, instead of putting them down, we should be shoulder to shoulder with this thief saying, thank you for standing up for the human race at that moment. Because you gave comfort to a God. You gave comfort to Jesus in his worst moment. You said the words that we need to be saying to him. I want to thank you because I didn't say it. I didn't suffer on the cross. The one next to you is where I'm mostly at. I would rather curse people and curse God than to suffer. Even while I'm suffering, I would rather curse God. That's the majority of humanity. And even in Revelations, it tells us that even while they're going through these curses as the, the vials and the different things are poured on the earth and they're gnawing their tongues and they're gnashing at their teeth, instead of saying, God, please forgive me, they're going to curse God. But here we have a thief saying the right thing at the right time to bring comfort to God. Now, I hear the critics out there. I hear them already. Standing at the gate waiting to gnash their teeth on what I'm saying. But you can't deny when you're in the worst point of your life, if you could think of any time in your life and somebody would come along to you and say something nice to you, say something heartfelt to you, how that made you feel. It's almost like a, a hidden energy drink that comes upon you. Something comes out of your mind and out of your heart and it just floods your body and you feel strength coming into you. Jesus, we're going to be dead in here in a little bit. I deserve my punishment, but will you remember me? Will you remember me? 
It's not a selfish prayer. I'm not talking about a selfish person out there. I'm talking about somebody that was realizing I'm next to somebody that was innocent. I'm next to somebody that's suffering for the God, the kingdom's sake, for all of what he wrote throughout all the generations. I'm next to him and I recognize it and I deserve punishment, but will you have mercy on me? I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that, my friends out there in podcast land. We are in some perilous times right now. I have covered the rapture stuff many times. How Christians have this escape plan ready to hightail it. And the whole time they're planning the escape plan... They're not really truly ministering to people. They're not truly really going out there and, and preaching like the, the world's going to burn up kind of preaching. You hear more about, I need more. I need more. This building needs more. You need to do more. You need to do more. You need to be here more. You need to do this more. Over and over and over. You need to do this while they have more and more and more stuff rotting on the shelves. Oh, you just don't understand, Reverend Randall. You don't know what we're going through. Yeah, do you understand what they're going through out here? Do you understand what the world's going through? And God never intended you to be locked up into a room, a box, where you guys never come out and never preach nobody except for in that box, and you expect them to come there. You put a little bit of energy into an Easter service or something to get people to come. But then the rest of the time, you're condemning everybody. Look at me. Did you hear what I preached? Pat me on the back. I'll pat you on the back next time. Hey, let's tag team up here. Let's preach and see who can do the most. And guess what? We better not preach too long because if we preach too long, they're going to call us something. They're going to say we're, we're waiting too long. We're wasting too much time. So we better do this in a nutshell. We better get up here and rattle off as much stuff and, and act like we know as much as we can and then sit down and get a hand clap. And if we get an altar service at the end, we're going to have a great service. Meanwhile, the worship singers are addicted to porn. They go home, they have wives and kids, and they're addicted to porn. They're filling the pulpits with unrestrained sexual urges. everywhere now, I'm not saying they're all doing it but it's there you don't get the overnight prayer meetings anymore people are watching their watches the fast are not fast anymore people are eating popsicles they're doing all kinds of things and I'm talking just about a half day fast or a day fast Oh, you're kind of too hard on us. You're you're speaking. You're there's something wrong with your spirit. Well, what happens when you crucify an innocent man? You should you should learn what happens when you crucify an innocent man. Especially if you're going to be a temple goer. First number 38 of Mark that we read. And after the ninth hour, remember, he was crucified and he yelled out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Verse number 39. 
or 38, excuse me. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Immediately, when Jesus died, something happened in the temple. Now, I've heard it. It's like the tabernacle. When his body was ripped, it was like ripping the veil. When you ripped his body, when you pierced it. Now, it didn't happen when they shoved the sword, the spear in him, but it died when he died. And it went from top to bottom because it was God ripping downwards. Them were all great things. I love all those things. But let's get to the core of the issue. What happens when you crucify an innocent man? You would think the house of God would be blessed. You would think that great things would happen. Instead, God destroyed something in there. What did God destroy? He destroyed the very thing that was separating people. The veil. He destroyed the very thing that was keeping people from God. The veil. He destroyed the thing that makes it so people can't get to God. The veil. The gossip. The overindulgence. The tithe services. The unrelenting burnouts of you got to work more. You got to work more. There's not enough people here, so you got to work more. You got to do more work. You got to have every position in the church. You got to work more. You got to be voted in every position. You got to work more. You got to work more. You got to work more. Meanwhile, the veil still stands. But don't worry. When you crucify an innocent man, that veil will die. That veil will break. And have we got to the point to where these buildings and these religions, and I'm not talking about any one religion in particular. I'm going across the board. They're all in here. After the Reformation and the the splintering of all the different churches and all the different denominations and all the different people that had their ideas, it just kind of fractured like lightning and you can't contain that lightning bolt because it spirals out of all different branches and that's what happened to the church. Now, I'm not saying the one that came before it is right. Don't get me wrong. They had their own issues. That's why you hear it from me. It's better to be a disciple than a Christian. Because then you kind of avoid these kind of things. But if you want to play this game, what game? The blame game, the pointing game, the I'm better than you game, the look at me game, my building's better than yours, we have more knowledge than you, our Bible's correct, yours is not correct, we have better fellowship than you, we have this, we had a better service, we have this, we have this, we have this, over and over and over and over. Meanwhile, the veil still stands. Oh, no, David, you're wrong. The veil was rent when Jesus died. I'm talking about the spiritual veil, my friends. I'm talking about the spiritual veil. And if it was not there, then why didn't the Jews just walk right into heaven? Because of their unbelief? Because of their religion? Because of their blindness? Scribes and Pharisees. But you got to... 
you got to have righteousness as much as theirs and exceed or else you will not get in, the Bible says. Jesus, I'm not getting rid of anything. So why are you holding on to the veil so strongly, my friend? Why do you like division so much, my friend? Why do you have a problem with what I'm saying? We are in epic times. You can look at it as these are the great times that you're going to see the hand of God or you can be the oh me, oh my crowd. We're seeing grand scale historic things happening right before our eyes. And, and many people don't even grasp what's going on. They, don't, they see a glimpse of it. They don't even know that they've been going through history. If God tarries... This stuff will be taught to the generations. If God tarries, the stuff that we're going through is going to be taught. Now, the narrative's important because to the victor goes the spoils. We know this. And to the victors, those are the ones that write history. We know this. So what are we fighting for? We're fighting for all the chips and all the marbles. That's what we're fighting for. And I find that the battle is more against God's so-called people than the people of this world. Instead of grabbing a plow and helping, they're dividing each other. They're fighting amongst each other. They're bickering. So many people can grab one scripture in the day and age we're in because of the internet and quote it to somebody or put them on the spot and try to act like they want to debate and argue and, and fight. And meanwhile, those things that we're fighting and arguing and debating about have no bearing on anybody's salvation. Not one bearing. But yet we got to have puffed up knowledge. We got to be better. Meanwhile, the persons that are arguing don't take a break to say, Jesus, speak to me. What do you want me to say? How should I answer this? And your answer might get you an embarrassment. It might make you look like you might not have as much knowledge. And you might just say yay or nay. You might just have a simple answer. But it's the answer from God. And that's all that matters. Now, I'm going to get off this hobby horse because this is not what I was talking about. My main conversation here is about the thief that brought comfort to Jesus. And his suffering in his agony, in the pain of his life. The very first person before Jesus dies that says something nice to him. That's pretty amazing. It's an amazing thought. It was like the Lord was telling me today this thief brought me a joy. This thing, this thief gave me a little bit of hope. This thief that was on the cross dying next to me said the right thing at the right time. Because when I look out over this earth, I don't see a lot of hope. I don't see a lot of good. I don't see anything really. Your righteousness is filthy rags unto me. Everything that you have your best is not what I require I require your truth obedience is better than sacrifice doing the right thing obeying my word 
living the right way is much better than all the sacrifices you can bring me. Sacrifices are only there because you made a mistake. You need help fixing that obedience part. So the sacrifice will come along. But the problem is, is people are carrying sacrifices as their whole walk. Instead of trying to obey, instead of trying to have a walk, instead of trying to do something that God is requiring from them, they would rather just sacrifice it and go their way. Bring whatever kind of lamb, whatever kind of goat, whatever they can bring to God, and you're just going to accept it. That's all you need, and goodbye. That's why you hear everybody talking about their sacrifices. Now, if you go too far the other way, you get bragging people and boasting people. I do the right thing with God all the time. And you get the scribes and Pharisees. So you got to have that right balance, my friend. That's why you need to pray. That's why you have to have the Holy Ghost. That's why you got to have God living inside you. And you have to be walking the walk with God daily. Daily dying with God. You need to crucify yourself daily. Pick up the cross and follow me. Die daily. Let your sacrifice be you. I can hear it right now. Practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. And they don't even look in a mirror. You don't take time to, to look in the mirror and say, do I really practice what I preach? Am I really living a godly life? Do I spend more time promoting the things of this world than I do promoting the things of God? And if those that are promoting the things of God are doing it, am I hindering it or am I helping it? Even Jesus said, when the disciples came to him, Jesus, we found this guy out there casting out devils and we rebuked him because he was doing it in your name. And what did Jesus say? Hey, leave him alone. If he's for me, he's on our side. Why are you messing with him? Why aren't you taking all that energy and going to the unbelievers and going out there and, and ministering to people that need it, the sick? Why don't you be a doctor to the sick? Nope. Got to keep correcting people over and over and over again because every day they've lost their salvation. Over and over. Division here, division there. Did you see what I said to so-and-so? Did you see how I wielded the scripture? Oh, God used me today. God used you today. Oh, wow. Did you see how many visitors we had today? No, we didn't have no visitors. Yeah, but man, look at how many people came from a different church that quit and came into our building. We're having growth, man. Hey, did you see the property we bought 20 years ago? Yeah, it's all broken down out there. Yep, but you shouldn't say that because you got to have faith. One day, God's going to put something big there. Paying debt, paying debt, paying debt. Things are breaking down. People have been destroyed. You've ran off more people than you've brought in. Over and over, you're sowing discord while you're preaching to people not to sow discord. You're siding with those that came in and destroyed God's works. These are the buildings that I'm talking about. These are the people of God today. They fight when they vote. They don't get along. District meetings are fights. 
Nobody goes from one church to the other church on the other side of town. There's more churches in the town I live in than anywhere I know of. And division everywhere. A denomination on every corner. But yet they're waiting for the rapture. It's going to be interesting being there and to see all these different denominations showing up. And all these different Christians showing up. And all these different believers. All showing up at the same time during this rapture. And I say that tongue in cheek. Because before it happens, you hear from this group, I'm the only one going. And you hear from this group, I'm the only one going. And they don't even get along down here. So how are they going to have any unity when they stand before the king, the master? And how is he going to deal with that? Hard questions for called people. If you can't answer these hard questions, maybe you should spend time working on these than sowing discord. Or correcting those that are always out there preaching the word of God. Now, Jesus is crying. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He's crying. And the words that he's saying is one of the most painful words a human can say. My God, my God. What he's saying is the living God, the only true God, the God, the only God. I need you to speak to me right now. I need you to touch me right now. I need you to help me right now. God, God. And Jesus doesn't hear nothing in response. Doesn't get an answer back. The phone goes dead. Why has thou forsaken me? Me, your son. I've done everything you've said. I've done every scripture. I've lived the word. I am the word. I do everything right. I'm walking on the streets. I Look, I'm even forgiven a thief next to me. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? I need you. Speak to me. Give me something. And in an hour of silence from God, a human voice steps up. Says Jesus, I deserve to be here, but will you forgive me? Remember me in paradise. I want you to think about these things today, and with that, God bless. Hey, everybody out in podcast land is David coming at you with this end of the message podcast part. This is where I want to tie some thoughts together. I put a lot of scripture in, read a lot of things, talked a lot today. Now, you can be one of two people today. You can be the one on the right side of Jesus or left, wherever it was, and be the one that mocks the worker of God, be the one that hinders the worker of God, be the one that doesn't bring comfort to that person in the moment of their hour of their need. Or you can be the one that brings a comfort at the right time, a word fitly spoken. I think that would be a great prayer for us today, for this week, however long it may be. God, use me to bring comfort to somebody 
I might be suffering. I might be going through something, but use me. Help me to help those out there, God, and not to hinder those. Help me to bring unity and not division because we are in perilous times. We're in a crazy times and people want to have division and wars everywhere, but use me to bring a word of comfort. Now, I'm not saying to replace it with sometimes correction or sometimes I got to say things that, you know, are going to make people's lives rattle a little bit. But Jesus used me as that thief was used to comfort you in your hour of need. Now, I know many people don't think of it as comfort or it doesn't think of it as anything really much that that thief did. But if you're a man that has been beaten, has been separated, you've been mocked, you've been suffering, you're bleeding, you are in so much pain, and a human voice cuts through all the noise and says what he says, that's comfort. You wouldn't know it if you didn't suffer these kind of levels. But if you've suffered, the kind of suffering I'm talking about, if you've been acquainted with grief, like the way I'm talking about, That voice is a great voice. I want you to think about this podcast today. Please share it and get it out there. As with the other ones for this season, I'm trying to convert some to video so you have them on my Facebook platform so you can see them easier and you don't have to go through all these different, different listening apps. Please share them. Please listen to them all the way. Please pray for me and my family. Pray for yourselves. And with that, God bless.